Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You hate the business. <laughs> uh, you know, I hate the business end of the business. Uh, because it's just, it requires... Uh, the stuff that, like, I didn't plan to do. Like, why do I have to know PowerPoint? PowerPoint? Someone forced me to learn Excel? No. And now I have to go make a mailing list of people that I want to come and please watch my, you know, next special. What do you mean learn Excel? Because what did you have to, like, what do you have to learn in Excel? Like, just reading the sheets or, or putting them together or... Opening <laughs> Excel. Just so... Did you, did you not have Excel on your computer? This <laughs> you know, point? I did. And I think that's why I sort of, when I was in school or when I was in college, I sort of, um, I, I was always, I was, you know, I, since, since I was a kid, I was like, I want to do something which doesn't require me to sit at a desk. I want to sing and I want to dance and I want to make people laugh and that's it. And I've realized now that the singing and the dancing and making people laugh also has this very, very prominent component of someone has to come and watch you singing yeah. and dancing because you yeah. can't make people laugh if they're not there. Um, <laughs> So what Twitter's for no right, right? Yeah. but so that that component is truly terrifying to me actually to be very honest with you I sort of fumble a lot I'm a big failure at collating documents like give me Microsoft Word where I'm writing a set and I'm okay but any other Microsoft product scares the bejesus out of me see you're not the only one to say that the amount of comedians who say to me oh I hate the admin side and I'm like you're in show business yeah the business side you have to think about I'm not saying you don't but it, obviously you do but it's like that involves not not maybe not sitting at a desk mm. but at a space for me it's a train generally and doing the work yeah because no one's going to do it for me yeah. and all the people who've said you know like any, anytime an agent emails me and says I'd love to meet out with you or I'd love to do this or whatever no I'm saying I'm like, yeah, but what can you actually do that I can't? Yeah, I get, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I think that is very important. But then I feel like I would rather spend my time and energy into writing, into spending time living life that would give me an observation that might not even get to a final stage of a joke, but that'll give me a minute at an open mic that'll give me a, a, a minute at a new material night and also because I guess of the fear and because of the anxiety that comes with this sort of uh, like admin work thing then it then it scares me off comedy in general then I'm like now I am invested in if I want people to come and watch me not even if I want now I'm invested in please come and watch me as opposed to I want to make people laugh 
I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I guess it's a very overtly romantic and sort of unnecessarily romantic way of looking at it, and very not practical. Mm. But I, <laughs> but I think I mean truly that's what I believe in my heart. Just do a, a very quick. Just say your name and. Uh, uh, my name is Aditi Mittal, and my these are my profiles. Okay. And this is me at an audition for Lady Yogurt. <laughs> Because that li- okay. literally seems to be oh, okay. Are we are we okay on the? Um, yeah, we're uh, fine. We're fine. Good. How? Sorry. Can I ask you a very weird question? Do you want your name pronounced the way you've just pronounced it, or can I say Adit? Darling, a rose by any other name would cost the same amount around Valentine's Day. <laughs> would you? Well said. Well thank said. you. Thank you. Um, right. No, I just because I, I don't want to get it wrong and in po- no, you know that's what I mean? fine. That's fine. Because um, that would be the worst. I called myself a DT Mitchell while announcing myself on a show recently. So okay. I was like, so I can call you anything. Just I'd be like gold. that woman. She's <laughs> on the f- after what we've just talked about. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode seventy-seven. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today the Indian circuit. Aditi Mittal is an Indian stand-up comedian, actress, and writer. She was one of the first women to do stand-up in India, and has been included in the top ten list of Indian comedians by the Times of India. I got her on to talk about the circuit in India versus the UK, how class issues affect and impact comedy, and what she and other comedians can say, why she found the Edinburgh Fringe a really white place to be, how she found the right agent for her, and how she deals with misogyny in audiences all around the world. I found this a brilliant interview showcasing the similarities and differences in culture and in comedy and a perspective I've not really heard before, namely someone who had to make a job for themselves in a circuit that didn't have any role models for her to look up to or emulate in a world where the audiences and some of her co-worker comedians didn't like the idea of a female performer. If you're new here, please do hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes. But now, without any more delays, this is Aditi Mittal. I think the reason I started doing comedy was because one, I don't know how to do anything else. And um, two, I think I, I just sort of hung around long enough. I think I just went to mic after mic without any shame. You know, everyone sort of seems to recall this right now. Everyone, like I've come to England and sort of now everyone's like, oh, look, Aditi, you know, she got a show with BBC. Wow, how great. Remember how earlier she used to do so badly? And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I don't remember doing that badly. But apparently I was doing so badly. But I just kept going up on stage. I think it was just a question of the fact that I had no shame. I really, really wanted to make people laugh, which is why I hung around long enough. And to be honest, when I started, I was not told that I was supposed to be like that a woman doing comedy was supposed to be like, wow, a monkey wrote Shakespeare. Like, I didn't know it was supposed to be that unique and amazing, which is why I kind of just went around doing it like everyone else. And finally, actually, when I started getting some, you know, attention from outside and like, you know, people started writing and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, they're like, so you are a woman in comedy. And so tell, tell us about that. And I was like, uh, I like to make people laugh. Like I had nothing else yeah, to yeah, offer yeah, yeah. except that. And, and sort of now as I've spent more time being on stage and woken up to the layers of what it means to be a woman in this profession. It was a couple of years ago now, but it's still one of my favorites. Was Jeanette Beckhill? No, why oh, okay. don't I know that? Oh no, that's fine. She tweeted, it was like, interviewer, what's it like being a woman in comedy? And her reply is always, it's just like being a man, except you get asked that a lot more. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So at first I was just like, huh, I don't know how to answer that question. But I'll be honest with you, I feel like I will answer that question a million times if it means that someone listening for the first time finds solace in it. If it causes them to identify with something and if it gives them context, I will answer that question a million times if if that's what it takes. When I, when I, I did my special, 
special here in Soho and I know the conventional things that women have always been accused of oh my god she's talking about periods oh my god she's talking about babies I was like yeah I talk about periods and babies and I hope for the next 25 generations of female comics they talk about periods and babies because not nearly enough has been said about periods and babies that has been said about you know dicks and blowjobs I mean I I think and I think this is an equal part of the narrative I'm 50% of the world's population why shouldn't I talk about periods and babies and why shouldn't you why should you act like you have no context on periods and babies what's wrong with periods and babies it's, it's like if I were to say uh white middle class men only talk about their dead dads and ex-girlfriends yeah yeah if that's what they want to, that's what they want to talk about again it's what we're talking about before we started recording you should have the right to say especially in comedy you should have the right to say whatever you want to say yeah even if I don't agree with it or I don't think it's funny or agreed 100 and you know what here's the thing I think the best way to express or register your dislike for something is not be there is stop listening yeah. and I, I don't know why people act like they're being shoved down their throats that they're like oh my god did she just say no dude you could next time don't go for a show you know it's it's not it's not about sort of like now i guess because we also live in a time and age where you can register our uh, discontent and that's a very very good thing necessarily but i don't think that this like necessary okay I, maybe i'm just going off now i don't think that this necessary sort of stereotyping as it were should deter people i mean honestly i i really don't think there has been said enough about periods and babies and dead dads i don't think there has say it keep talking about these things i and silence is our greatest enemy. Silence is the reason why people sort of don't know what you're talking about or aren't sensitive enough to understand what you're talking about. And so just talk. Keep telling your story and I think it will just make us a more aware, more sensitive and more intelligent world. Now I've gone into official like vague sentences, but you know what I'm saying? No, it it, it makes you more empathetic. Empathetic is the word I was looking for. Oh, sorry, right. Yeah. <laughs> It's all right. I had five minutes to think about it, you didn't. Um, but no, I agree with that. I tell people all the time, you vote hard with your money than you do with your voice. So if you don't someone can say to me you're shit and I won't I don't say it go ahead. I the, every audience I do 10% of people don't like me. I'm fine with that. Just on a statistic numbers basis. You even my you own show. You can't you can't 100% have people no. think you're amazing. That's just mathematically like yeah. impossible. I I did my DVD record and people brought their partners and all that kind of stuff and I could still see the 10% in the room that just were like why did you bring me to this crap? And I'm like and I'm like you know what? I don't care that you're you thank you for you're here. That's fine. Right? I would say to them just don't come back. You, there's enough people, you know, go see you. <laughs> like it sounds like you talk about something completely different to me. Yeah. And no, and you know what? I think that way as a comic I am overtly aware of the fact that we have a paying audience. I think that is my biggest driver is when someone has paid money to come and see you, they've bought someone they love. And so your job at that exact given point in time is to roll up your sleeve and make sure you make people laugh. It is literally what you are getting paid for. But mathematically it is impossible that everyone will walk out being like amazing. What a great time there will be 10 people who will be like this was a complete waste and there's very little you can do about it. yeah it's one of the only jobs in the world you know you can't finish or fully achieve yeah when i read that and it said you were one of the first women to do comedy in india is that because you've done both so when you think of stand up over here is it performed the same way is there like a cultural difference over there that means that it's called comedy instead of stand up what's the so you know i think the rhythm of comedy is universal that is what is actually most exciting to me is that if you're genuinely funny you could be doing it in a different language and someone will still find you funny i've seen like i've seen shows i saw a uh, a comic in uh, do stand up in german and i don't understand at least what of german right and there was something about this guy he was just oh i can't remember his name i'm oh he's so mad henning wedding no no it wasn't as catchy as okay. that it was it was uh, and there was something so sort of appealing about him and he was so funny uh, in just the way he spoke the way he moved and i could almost tell sort of the 
sentences and the cadence of the speaking almost tells you where a funny part is coming and that to me is the most integral part of comedy is that when someone's being funny you can recognize it across languages and across cultures having said that context is also the biggest thing that comedy is based in okay so let me explain to you in india we have the the comedy scene has been around for a while or uh, we used to have these things called hasya kavi sammelans which was uh, the funny poets societies right where they would they would come together and sit together and sort of it would be a bethak where there would be people sitting and then they would have a mic in the center and then there'd be an audience and so people would get up one by one and go to the mic and read out their poetry and it was very much based in sort of clever wordplay witticisms and those kind of things right and then in 1991 we had what was called the great indian laughter challenge where they finally bought stand up comedy as it is practiced here which a man and a mic that happened in 1991 and this show exploded means like it was the highest rated show for i think about 5 years you know a, a slew of very very popular comics that are still touring today came out of that and that was in hindi english stand up comedy with the person behind the mic happened as recently as 2009 and there used to be this one open mic run by a company that used to run open mics for everything once a week so an open mic that used to happen once a month for stand up comedy the next week is like slam poetry the next week was like you know whatever storytelling so it was one of those things and i remember going there for the first time i remember watching a few people and wondering like i was like Oh, that's that's really nice. I like it. Looks like I can do that. And so the next week, I went, did a set to what is relative silence, and got two laughs. And I was like, I'm in. I'm in. I don't even care. Like two laughs in a five minute set. I'm okay. I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna try as hard as I possibly can. The way it is sort of practiced now is extremely similar to the way it is done here. Having said that, the industry behind stand up comedy, I have not seen anything like it. Like whoa, it blew my mind. The number of venues, the number of organizers, the number of promoters the number of people in comedy i think in, right now in india we have about like a, a healthy like 70 people who have like 30 minute sets that could be rotated on a circuit we have about 70 people and that's not a whole lot for a country of 1 billion and so that that is i mean the difference is of course that audiences in india are um, i think audiences in india still don't know what to expect when they come for a show they're like oh what's it going to be like and there's that still that whole thing of like you sit in the front row and someone's going to call you a virgin and someone's going to say your dick is tiny and you know that kind of thing still happens a lot but audiences in india still don't know what to expect i think here audiences are also more seasoned like they'll even know uh, again according to the cadence of what a comic is saying they'll be able to laugh like provide you with a laugh and i think that that's the major difference just the age of the audiences right now why was the language changed in 2009 what was the reason why it became in english Or- it was just different people okay. i mean so for example i would not be i would not survive in the 1991 space in that great indian laughter challenge i would not be a part of it because i think i mean i i'm doing the exact opposite of what those comics were doing which is you know sort of like poking fun at i mean even now the sort of mainstream comedy in india um is mostly very sexist and very ageist and i don't have that in me i i don't think like i think i'm too i i i i find that so boring and i find that so cliched and i wouldn't do it and so that is not a, an industry that i would find space in this one the new one and i the way this has happened is that it's also been mostly kids from middle class or upper middle class backgrounds who are speaking in english to an audience that understands english that has been i think a very unspoken to segment not too many people have had you know comedy happen in that and that is why today indian english comedy is accused of being classist is accused of being sort of like oh you all do it in english so you all think you all are too smart which is and and in india english is a very sort of a very potent battlefield on which we are fighting our class wars 
and so I, I that's that's why I, I think the stand up comedy right now is just a very very loaded as it were we used that word earlier a very loaded space to be in right now it's it's like what you were saying again before we st- we should have recorded some more but it's, it's like what you were saying before when you went to Edinburgh for a few days and you were like it's just the whitest place on earth yeah and you don't mean that as in Scottish people you just mean everyone who's come up from London and Liverpool and yeah. whatever and it's like I think I mean there's a lot of talk of that being quite a middle class playground mm. of that being you know white guys who can afford it can go up and do it mm. and anyone who isn't of that ilk might not see it as a place to go because they won't be discovered or whatever but also can't afford that yeah. so it's kind of I think but we only have that once a month necessarily you have that all year round it sounds like and it yeah. doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like it's a pleasant time to be you in. know I'll tell you actually it is an amazing time to be in comedy because it is just the beginning right it is just the beginning it is of course populated by people who speak English but we also have I think a fledging Hindi scene and and it's the same thing that you know you were talking I, I know that in your Mick Perrin uh, episode where you were talking about how TV has sort of changed the way comedy so with with the 1991 revolution with the Great Indian Laughter Challenge and you know it had like seven seasons that was sort of TV comedy those were jokes about film stars and you know how she is so fat and unfuckable and you know they are so old and ugly that kind of a thing whereas now the comedy that's coming up is genuinely I think it comes attached with a point of view it comes attached with an opinion which generally was not there earlier and it's happening in English as well as in Hindi in Hindi not as prominently like I know for a fact that there are comics right now who are phenomenal in Hindi who are also touring the exact same circuit that I am who get standing ovations on a daily basis because Hindi is also our head language so many English comics now and I know this because I've done it as well is where you switch between the two languages so you do a setup in English where you are pointing out how absurd a thing is in a strange language and then you give the punchline in Hindi and immediately everyone knows like everyone identifies almost instantly with the Hindi punchline and the contrast of how ridiculous the thing is stands out even stronger because you said it in English so there's a way to kind of navigate the minefield as it were and make it work for you which I think a lot of comics right now are doing very very well and in touch what I really hope that more voices come out from the general public it sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong but if there is 70 let's just stick with that number for a ballpark figure if there are 70 comedians doing that uh, professionally doing the runs in in India it sounds like you all can talk enough that you can be self-aware of audiences that having to know that is is a possibility whereas here I think city by city it would change so much that it's not kind of possible for us to go because we might go our Leeds audiences like that or whatever in reality it might just been they've done one gig in Leeds once in five years and that was it whereas it feels like you guys have a much stronger connection community wise but also a stronger awareness of culture and and the way the audiences are perceiving what you're doing oh yeah and you have to you have to because you know what and I think that is a a blessing and a curse at the same time is that overt self-awareness again because and self-awareness gifts you context and context is everything India is a country where literally every eight kilometers the language changes the sensibilities change and so if you're standing literally the jokes that work in Bombay for example which is the financial capital the financial and entertainment capital of the country to Delhi change like Delhi which is the political capital would prefer political jokes they will laugh harder clap harder in Bombay the Bollywood jokes you know work so much so much better in Bangalore you go down and they don't know what you're talking about if you say something about Bollywood they might be aware of like they will be aware 
of politics but with bollywood in particular they're like we don't we don't care because literally bangalore has also its own hollywood industry so they, so it's it's sort of it's and it's i mean india is a huge country india is a huge country we could possibly spend the rest of our lives touring india alone and we have 100 million 30 million people who understand english we can yeah a comic can possibly spend the rest of their lives touring india alone and be able to make a living off of it you said before there's like 70 comedians have maybe a 30 minute passable set for yeah. doing that but then you've said that each city you'd you'd cut, kind of tailor it yeah. for that so does that mean you've got 30 minutes on bollywood 30 minutes on politics 30 minutes or, or do you mean you have a 30 minute set that you would be like well I'll open with my political stuff and end with it in this city yeah, because it's yeah. how would you deal with yeah. that yeah so you know i uh, touch would i have more than 30 <laughs> oh i wasn't your god your god I, no i mean as yeah. in like i am relieved i am yeah. very very sort of grateful to have more than 30 minutes because i've had more than i guess 5 years of stage time now But that's a headline spot but because here we do 20 minutes for a headline so i'm assuming that 30 minutes 30 is the headline, is the headline. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah 30 is the headline just for context yeah yeah and so i think it's a general universal 30 right and then you sort of tailor make it where okay if i have this hindi punchline here i won't use it when i'm in bangalore i will either say it in english and see if it has the same impact or i will find something to substitute it with and so i think there are this there are 70 or 8 70 i think is the outer number of people who have 30 minutes that could sort of work across clubs in all four metropolitan cities right when you say 70 what's the gender split in that there's about like I'm going to give it a generous 10 women in comedy and I'm not even going to say like stand up comedians alone I think stand up comedians there are about 3 3 of us who are doing it like stand up comedy as a, as a, jo- as a job yeah. right the rest are sort of like in sketch and in you know in improv and all that stuff and so I'd say about 10 and that used to always irk me because I was like okay out of say given an outer number of 70 if 10 are women they all have to be some level of freaking amazing in order to survive whereas out of the 60 in uh, the males there will always be 30 who suck but their bros are keeping them alive and giving them spots and you know getting them stage time and putting them at the forefront of corporate shows and so it's it always irked me that the percentage was unfairly divided in that aspect playing devil's advocate right i just want to ask you a question and i i'm asking it just to find out your perspective on this i don't necessarily believe what i'm about to say if that makes sense but oh, my oh good good things never start like I this know, but well, go ahead my, my, go ahead. Qu- my question would be if so if i was a, if i was a female comedian right and i and i felt like that i felt like I've got to be the best because otherwise I won't get spots. To me that feels like it would be actually quite a positive driving thing coming out of a negative. No, of course it's a positive I mean? driving yeah. thing, but it's not an even playing field. Oh no, it I'm is not, not an even playing field. Like I said, it's all. come out of a negative definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. That's and I I find I'm I have to say that's sort of that's kind of like saying like, "Oh look, she went through so much harassment and yet she is, you know, founded a school for disabled people." No, 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 that's not it. That's really not it. That's not the point of it at all. The point of it is that the playing field is not even. And and it really sort of also scares me actually the fact that so much of this industry is not really merit based it's all sort of relationship based it's all based on sort of how well you know that guy and how well that guy you know likes you and and i find that very unfair i find that very unfair when the ultimate judge has to be the audience are you talking about india now or england or both just comedy in general okay. i find like i i've only come and because i'll tell you the truth also i entered comedy at a very very fortunate time like i think i was at the right place at the right time um and i managed to kind of hold on to it um because at that point in time it really was that there were so few comics that they just needed people to fill up time right and i had the, i had the minutes and so they put me on 
but i know for a fact that if i was trying to get into comedy right now in india even i would possibly find it damn near impossible i would not i like i it's it's all sort of that like hand shaking back slapping i was like i can't i i i don't have the i don't have the social skills for it like i don't you know and that's actually no, this one <laughs> uh, steve martin has this great quote where he's like you know the 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 idea is to just be so good that they can't ignore you and it's better to spend time writing comedy than to be attending parties like i think that that's that's the focus of my life in general is to sort of is to be just like i i want work i don't want like a lifelong relationship i just like let's yeah. let's work together i think that it's becoming more of a meritocracy especially over yeah? here i don't know about india because yeah? I, i can't obviously i've never been yeah. i can't comment but I, i i think the internet has done that i think the internet's leveled some of the playing field because mm. you can find an audience now i know you i i know you've got quite a lot of followers on twitter and quite a lot on um youtube and stuff and that is a privilege thing that you can tap into yeah. that nobody else has access to you know yeah. what i mean it's an audience that you know i'm sure there are out of the 90 men in comedy there maybe 60 of them don't have do you know i don't yeah. I, I, i don't know i mean i'm just i'm plucking numbers out of the air but if i went with the statistics over here there's a lot of comedians over here who would love to have an audience but just haven't nurtured it and grown it in the same way that you seem to have done we also realize we have the i have the general advantage of numbers is that like like the number of people that speak english in india is just higher than the population here <laughs> so okay so, yes yeah, true yeah so i mean in terms of relativity like i think that would thank god <laughs> that, that there are these many people listening or you also speak both languages right yes. so so you have a double advantage in the sense yeah. that uh, there's a billion people in india there's probably more now but there's a 1.3 actually yeah there's a, there's a few more than been born right it's, it's <laughs> that statistic but there's so there's 1.3 there there's i don't even know in england but there's not a billion let's put it that yeah, way a lot less so so yeah but you could say that we want but you're limited to to the rooms you're playing in terms of numbers you're going to be seen by yeah. and online that obviously doesn't happen because it's as many people who can just find you yeah. so it's a case of there if the content's good that that's a reflection on what your sort of uh, following is i don't want to say numbers because that's obviously a vanity figure more than anything but it's 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 indicative of you in you and your yeah. in the fact that you're putting out quality and, and working hard on it that that you might it might not seem like a meritocracy in real life but online it feels like it yeah is. it's equalizing people though having said that just i'm amazed at the quality of uh, actually may i say this i want to i because i might as well this is a comedy podcast i feel like um translating stand up to video like a live stand up performance to video is a craft in itself. Oh god yeah. And from the kind of rooms we have and the kind of work we've been doing. I mean again we don't even have those many rooms as that much of a constancy. Like we would be able to like nail down a room and then work different angles at making a video. And that's why every time you sort of film a video it's a, an exercise in film making literally is okay how many cameras okay three cameras set up one camera set up okay where does it cut now wait should it punch in at the punchline should it punch out is this a funny bit where I you know where I'm moving my body so let's give it a full like those intricate cases mm. are sort of like it requires an education yeah. in itself and i think i mean we're, that's what we're doing right now all of us are just like rabidly watching you know stand up specials and uh, uh videos cut up of other comics just to kind of see how it works i i think as long as you're putting effort in and it's clear that there has been a thought process behind what you've done yeah it's a case of you don't necessarily have to follow a format because if there's too many specials that are similarly shot i get really bored with it so like bill burr's recent one we did in black and white hmm. i really like the idea of that because I've not seen that done before. Huh. Do you know what I mean? Huh. And it is only one change and it kind of added to it or kind of removed from some jokes, but it it was one of those things where you were like I am a 
aware that I'm watching this at home. Because when I watch it on Netflix, I'm, I'm on my laptop, I'm really close to the yeah. screen. So I could, if I got really into it, deceive myself to be like, I'm not in the room, but I'm in the room. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? But when you're watching it in black and white, you're sort of like, I'm not colorblind. I can, you know what I mean? I, I know that I'm watching a special wherever I'm watching it. So yeah, I know what you mean. And you, you talk about the fact that it's sort of, if he likes you or if backhanded, slap, you know, shake hands and that didn't make any sense, but you get the sentence I was trying to come out with with <laughs> yes. that. Would you say that misogyny is better, greater here or there or, or, it's, or, or, or is it a, a boys, quote unquote, boys club? I yeah, mean, what's of course the... it is. Of course it is. And I, I mean, there is, of course, among the women also, there is the constant sort of uh, the crab mentality, right? Where you are sort of given the impression that... Uh, I remember sort of being told this uh, is that whenever there would be another woman would enter comedy, I would have a ton of comics come up to me and be like, yeah, dude, your days are numbered. I was like, what do you mean my days are numbered? Just because someone did like a good show. I was like, this is not even, how, how does that happen? Is there space for only one woman? And that's not true. And I've actually gone out of my way to kind of, now I realize I've been around sort of longer than everybody else. So now I go out of my way to irritatingly be that person who's like, yeah, what up ladies? <laughs> like now I will overbond if that's what it takes in order to make sure that no one ever feels like they don't they don't they can't occupy space and I, I i think that's what's very important right now is making sure that all the women that are with me or that we, that are in the space together is that we know that we can all occupy space in this industry is that there is not it's not a competition of us against each other but of everybody against each other and if that means i have a special bond with all the ladies hell yeah and yeah it, it does i mean you know actually so how it started out was i was sort of when i started doing comedy it was with a bunch of guys and I sort of used to hang around. Can we put a year, what year was that? When, when that did you this was in 2010. Just to put context on it. So, you, and so do you mind me asking how old were you when you started? I was 25. 25 when you started 2010. So, yeah. So you've been doing it six years. Yes. And you've been full time for how many years of those? Uh, three. Three. Okay. So I can't remember what you're saying. Just so people have a context of what you're. Yeah. yeah. And so then I started sort of started with a bunch of guys. And I mean, I, I generally also have a very combative personality, which is why I am in, I think, in comedy is because I like the idea of being able to confront something. You know, I, I sort of experienced things that I had nobody to turn around and ask if I was crazy or if I was validated in feeling like that. And I literally actually, so one year into this, I sort of had, had managed to distance myself from everybody because I was like, I don't, I can't trust anyone's intentions. And I started doing it on my own. And I remember for like almost two years, I was just, <laughs> I was completely down and out because I was like, I don't know if I deserve this. I don't know if I'm funny enough because I now don't have the outside approval of guys while they continued absolutely on with their boy boy gangs and all that stuff I didn't have that I think it's made me care lesser now and now even I, I don't I don't exist with the sort of support of anybody else I've now run entire tours by myself which I know that most of the comics that were starting out with me can't do anymore because now they're in gangs so now sort of when you mean get you mean groups of male yeah, comedians or yeah, gang gangs yeah. okay right and so now I know that I can alone like I, I, I organized a tour for myself uh, last year in September and I went to 11 cities in 13 days and it was a sold out tour and I mean it wasn't massive rooms it was rooms of like 100 and 300 and that was it I should just point out if you want to just pause for a sec while comedians listening to this go not massive because I mean to us that's still quite big oh, yeah? yeah and I managed to sell out this entire tour and I did it pretty much all by myself like it was me picking up the phone and making e like emailing people and hating every moment of it of course because I hate emails and phone calls but I managed to do it by myself and I think that was the first time I realized I was like I can stand on my own two feet and people find me funny and you know are willing to spend 
money and come and watch the show and then go away having had a good time and to me that was the biggest solace and i was like after this i don't need validation from outside from anywhere i do not need any guy to tell me oh you're funny i do not need any guy to t- say you know but ati can you please come on our you know whatever on our show. i did not want to be the token chick we were doing a show which is a bollywood based show and it was sort of like parody awards show and the idea was that we would sort of parody you know the best supporting actress and so one of the suggestions being bandied around was let's just do tits let's just do and i'm literally i'm sitting in this <laughs> in this room I'm like great brainstorm guys great brainstorm and yeah. i swear to god right and the oh, and the, the 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 thing that they would generally come into the consensus to was it would be hilarious if they just put a close up of all the tits of the girls who had been nominated and i remember thinking no 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 this is not like you've not worked at this you've not worked at this and this is not funny and i remember i can't even remember how i reacted exactly in that moment or in that space because i was just so shocked i was like oh sh- are we going to do this and am i going to have to stand backstage and watch my fellow comics do tits as a joke while like it's that same thing of that wink wink nudge jokes which you're just saying the same nasty things but with like a sort of smile and a glint in your eye and that sort of didn't make sense to me so i was i was really genuinely upset and i that, that was the time i realized i just i needed to like do this by myself and i needed to kind of stand up on my own two feet and it do, like validation from outside didn't matter and i went through that i went through that today as i watch women come in and come into comedy i think the system there is so much of a larger support system and of course i think i mean i'm just also a very insecure person which is why i do comedy in general um <laughs> and so i i i think yeah the things are changing i guess i mean i i would have just said you know you guys put your balls out first and then we'll think about it like you know <laughs> I mean? like let's see you go on stage and do that and then we'll they'll we'll have a we'll have a renegotiation afterwards cuz equality why not but that that's mental to me like the fact that the fact they had a meeting for that oh yeah yeah i mean like, so it was, it was in a conclusion. writing meeting right it was in a writing, was in a meeting. writing meeting and they were like oh my god we'll do tits we'll do just close up of tits and i was like what also, what what also tits uh, tits out of context are not funny do you know what i mean if i no but the idea was it's so funny right because supporting and so because oh most god, most indian oh my god and most I've indian actresses I didn't, yeah, I didn't even get that and most indian actresses are merely set pieces so her the the supporting actress would just be a pair of tits to literally a set piece and so how hilarious with that do you know what drives me mad in comedy in general is people that first of all people that say it's just a joke right because that should not be your defense it should be first of all it should be implicit in the joke that it's a joke so yeah. you shouldn't have to say it and second of all the people that say oh i'll just say it and apologize later if i have to and it's like do you know that whole get permission later rather than uh, consent for yeah. that kind of thing and you're like well then you shouldn't be saying it because you obviously again it's not a joke yeah yeah uh, yeah if you're especially if you were saying i'll get permission later which yeah. means that there was permission required to say the damn thing yeah you know and that is also one constant this thing that we are like we've had a couple of things happen where uh, our law enforcement services have taken mm. notice of what is happening in stand up mm. comedy and now there's this constant battlefield of freedom of expression and you know yeah. you are allowed to make a joke and and i do i'm all for freedom of expression i am all for being able to make a joke right but that cannot mean that you go around stalking absolute garbage because then you are not doing your job my friend if you've yeah. managed to offend someone you have not done your job your job is to be clever and funny well i i mean i know you, you don't necessarily have to be clever to be funny but i because huh, i i saw someone the other day who was not being clever, clever and they were they were being very funny i uh, know that i agree but yeah. i'm saying i say in general especially if you're dealing with something that is so sensitive that it oh, might yeah. incense people is that you have got to then be so smart about it oh, that yeah. you manage to make your point and make people laugh that's yeah. what it is i find that the hardest part of this job is that if i because if i have something that i is an actual subject i want to make it so like i had a joke in my last show and it was a long build it was about how i hate international women's day and the reason for that is because it's it you shouldn't need a day and it, and it and it's i basically said that you you get the same number of days a year as pancakes and that drives me insane and i don't know if you have pancake day over there but it's it you get yeah but it, it, the the joke ends on me saying that i hate feminist comedians who come up, like middle class white comedians who come up on stage now and say stupid 
stupid things like women are equal, they can do everything as well as men, because it's not true. Like, historically, there's one thing women can't do as well as men, and that is oppress a gender, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. what I mean. Exactly right. But I had a woman come up to me in Brighton when I was doing previews, and she said, "Like, you know, I found that quite offensive as a as a joke." And I was like, "But we, we I'm saying we're re you're really good at not being shit. Why is that offense? Like, where is that offense?" And it, and it was one of those things that I was not going to apologize for because I felt like I was so on the right side of that. Yeah. And she had no, she didn't back it up. Like, if she'd backed it up and said, "This is why that's offensive," yeah. I might have apologized. But I, I don't feel like you should have have the an apology into a joke because then you shouldn't be saying it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that. I mean, that I think that's exactly it. And I really do believe why I love this job so incredibly much is because it you know beyond 20 minutes actually who you really are starts showing on stage what you really believe starts okay. showing on stage it's literally like your sleeve slips off and your bra strap is showing my friend and you know what you gotta like <laughs> you know you what you know me so well <laughs> and it's sort of it's one of those things where I, I, I don't know I think that I'm so confident of what side I am on and I am so confident of my intentions that I know I will defend to the death what I say on stage and I, I think that is my biggest sort of solace is that I'm not lying and I am not saying anything that would physically harm someone and so I will do this job with my 100% conviction and I will not be banding about random apologies and stuff like that because this is it this is my worldview and if you have laughed in that moment you are complicit by the way if you have laughed you there because you laugh for two reasons right at a joke one is oh my god I never thought of it that way and oh my god I know exactly what she's talking about and so if you laughed my friend at that moment there was a level of identification with that so let's uh, sort of uh... let's not pretend you're a moral arbiter after laughing and you know what I'll be honest also I feel like now everyone is getting so offended at com comedians jokes and all I'm like <laughs> these are jokes okay if you found it offensive then I didn't do my job of making it funny for that I will apologize but I cannot apologize for you being hurt or whatever that you keep your you nurse your hurt for yourself yeah the thing I cannot and I've, I've started eliminating people from my life who do not take responsibility for all of their thoughts feelings and emotions and, and actions because it's your it's you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I get that you can't control your feelings, like people, but you can control your reaction to them. And yeah. if you're not working on that, I, I, can't, I don't have time for you. Because if you turn around to me and go, I'm offended, it's like, right, well, you go and deal with that. Because it's in you. No, no, because it's <laughs> yeah, in you. It's yeah. in, you know, there's that CK joke. You're a big fan of Louis CK. And there's I'm that CK joke where you're like, uh, where he's like, uh, you know, uh, people are like, oh, uh, I, I can't, uh, we can't have, we can't legalize gay marriage because uh, what will I tell my children? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you're shitty children. You tell them. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Don't make not, it my problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got, I've got a joke. I still can't make this funny. It's driving me mad. But it's about, I used to be really fat and I trying to write a joke about how I don't think you can fat shame someone because yes, you've been a dick about it, but it's in them that their shame is there. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's your emotion that's coming out there. And if you're taking responsibility for your reaction, because I'm I'm fine with my body shape now and I, I would probably be fine if I got fatter again because I'm sort of comfortable with that. Who you are. Yeah, with who yeah. I am. But when I wasn't, it was because I wasn't, I was eating because I wasn't comfortable with who I was. Yeah. And so they were poking a, a, a symptom of a bigger thing. And it was my fault for not dealing with that, not theirs. No, you know, what, I but I'll tell you the truth. We also live in a world where these symptoms yeah. are taken to proportions that are genuinely sort of like that's that's why I think I do believe in reining it in unless you are really making an amazing point. Yeah. And, and we do live in a world where we now know concepts like victim blaming. We are, yeah. I mean, touch wood, it's so great to be living in a world where these are cliches and these are tropes that we are aware of and we can avoid. I would never victim blame someone. Mm. If And if I was consciously aware of who, but the thing is, I'm very self-aware in general and, and I 
would I would call myself a relatively intelligent person. And also I would say that when I write a joke, I make sure that I am the victim in that joke. Or I'm always yeah. punching upwards. Yeah. Because even with that joke I was telling you before, the the uh, uh, stalking someone online, mm-hmm. that one, right? I, I feel like I'm punching upwards with that because I'm the idiot who doesn't understand language in that joke. I'm not someone taking fun of stalker. I'm not taking the side of a yeah. stalker. Um. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it takes forever to do that. But I think people don't do that in general in life. We do that more in comedy because we have to go, we will have to take accountability for this thing we're going to we say. We also have more time. <laughs> we also have... Uh... You might do. No, yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> we, don't do your admin. No, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, no. Yeah. We just have more time. I think that, that that's a, a part of our job is yeah. to be self-aware yeah. uh, and irritatingly so. think that everyone is doing comedy for one wrong reason. And I and until I know what that reason is, I don't know if I can be around them. Because if so, I've realised there are three reasons why I won't be friends with a comedian if I think it's their reason for doing it. One, if it's a shortcut to like acting work or presenting, mm. I don't. Want, yeah. I don't. No, fuck off. Two, if you're just trying to pull the whole fucking time, if that if you're doing it like impress girls or whatever, I'm like, you know, you, you, you know, I am impressed. If if there is somebody doing this job to impress girls, wow, if the, wow, I am impressed. I have a begrudging <laughs> level of respect in the sense that how are you doing this? Because no girl has ever thought. Yeah, he talks about his ex a lot. I'd love to have him out on a date. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I suppose it's my. Co- I'm deflecting people for a defense mechanism. Whatever, right? <laughs> And the third one is if they're just having a midlife crisis. If they're just, you know what I mean? If yeah. they've had like a divorce and they're going, oh, I was always told I was the funny guy in the office. You're like, you stay in the office and be funny. The ones who use it as therapy, which I do as well. No, but I don't think you do. I think you, I hate people that say comedy is therapy. I think once you're over the thing, it can be therapeutic to talk about it. But I don't think you can actually use comedy as therapy if you haven't got over it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it requires a lot of work. Therapy doesn't require work. Like therapy, you have to just show up and talk. And comedy, you have to like... Therapy Measure was, your words. Uh, therapy definitely like being, required a lot of work. Huh. <laughs> oh, did it? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. But I think it's like being in front of the most judgmental therapist in the world. Like, and you have You've to make. Mine. <laughs> yeah, oh well. But I have a bigger notepad than she does. <laughs> no, I, I get what you mean. It's yeah. I, I just think you can't make something effectively as funny uh, the funniest it can be if you're not over it so yeah. as a result distance plus time you know that's sort of it's, tragedy, a, a tragedy plus, plus, plus time. time sorry that's what I meant tragedy plus wow, time wow I was doing like some speed yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well no I, I, I've added to distance that distance plus time <laughs> that's that E yeah. equals MC squared shit <laughs> I no I've changed that formula in my head it's uh, so it used to be comedy is tragedy plus time yes. right but I would say it's comedy plus time plus joke equals comedy do you know what oh, like okay. I If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, well, no, because otherwise you just got a great story. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, don't, yeah. don't just wait a year and then go, oh, I could talk about my, my uncle now. Huh. No, no, no. If you're going to talk about your uncle, there have to be like solid punchlines in there about. Yeah, exactly. But who were we talking about before I. Well, I was going to ask you because you said that you'd got booked a couple of times as like a token performer on yeah, a bill. Yeah. And I wondered if. Is this your first time over here? Or is this the. This is my fourth time. Fourth time here. Do you find. Because, uh, first of all, do you find that still happens in India? And do you find that has ever happened over here? Because over here, and, and I, again, this is a devil's advocate point in my head. Over there, you would be a token woman over here you would be a token Indian woman so as a result you could be booked and I'm not saying you have been but you could be booked for two reasons to make that club set up a bit more diverse for the first three times that I came here I didn't come to do clubs I came to do the BBC Asian Network and so that was sort of uh, quite uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that I guess was in itself a pretty specialised requirement having said that I'm also just damn good like I, I, I would I would hate to be that person who's like you know I think yeah of course my femininity got me so, like I'm, I know for a fact that they went through the other comics, looked at them, and then dis- like chose me. So it's not like I was token when I was coming here. Having said that, in India, I, by the way, gain and lose a lot of work because of my vagina, and that is primarily because there are like places, uh, bookers that would not book me because they'd be like, listen, it's a boys' college, they'll eat you up. Would you, would you want to do that gig though? Would you be like, of I want, I want that challenge? I'll okay, do it. I'll do it. Because there I are mean, some people job, over here. And no, and you know what? Here's the thing. I want the choice. I want the choice to say no. I want. The choice to say I may not be comfortable. I want the choice to say actually, hell yeah, let's go for it. So, do you think it's patronising? They would assume that you wouldn't do well at that gig, or do you think it's they know their audience well and it's and it's annoying to you not getting a choice? They've not given me a choice. I don't even okay. care if it's patronising or if it's they've not given me a choice, and that is what is irritating to me. There have been times when I have been too expensive to take along as a person of a group of comics because I would require my own room, and and that is sort of the main comics can share rooms. Oh, so, which, so you just mean you'd, you'd want a dressing room or do you, no, no, or would no, no, you room not care? room as in like, you know, if we're traveling, right? We're oh, traveling okay. in groups. And so in the hotel, I would require my own single room. And for the for the first two years of my career, I spent a lot of time, you know, traveling with groups, but I was always sort of given my own room. And everyone was like, wow, how lucky you are. And all I was like, <laughs> you, I mean, this is not luck. This is, by the way, not luck mm-hmm. because I know I'm losing work for the very same reason that y'all think I'm very lucky. So... I, I don't know about patronizing and I don't know about anything else. I just want to have the choice. Did, so your work on the BBC Asian Network over yeah, here, yeah. did that help set you up for this trip? Or was that literally just you were offered work and you thought, great, it's a great, I mean, I, 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 I assume BBC Asia airs over there, doesn't it? Or is it? No, it oh, doesn't. Okay. It doesn't. So you, you were aware of the BBC? Oh yeah, as a okay. kid actually, that's kind of what I wanted to do. Like I, it was, it was, 
I was always like, you know, I want to grow up and become a journalist on the BBC. And uh, when I first got contacted by them, I nearly fainted. I was like, what? Uh, what? what uh, happened? Did they, just, uh, they just email? What was they the... just emailed. Okay. And I was pretty blown and really excited. And it was at that point, actually, also, I was like, this is something that's being offered to me. Like, this is an opportunity that's being offered to me. And I think it was also the token, this thing, right? Because we had done, like, stand-up comedy in India is still a relatively new thing. And I've realized also in India, also, newspapers, the moment they run out of actual content, and they'll call two comedians and say hello can you tell us your opinion on xyz and then they'll shove it into a column or they'll make you write a column or something like that right and so so when i sort of when i got the email i was just really excited and i went around telling everybody and then i guess i did well enough that they called me back the second time and then i did well enough that they called me back the third time and then i did well enough that you know i got approached by bbc radio 4 which is i reckon a bigger uh, channel than uh, bbc asian network to do this the show that i just recorded um and so i don't want to take away like I, i don't know i i would love to be like self deprecating but i've realized people don't get self deprecation like people don't get that over there over here we do it's, uh, it's like a big thing yeah yeah you know and yes that is true that is true i i love how uh, i was watching this show called uh, the big school oh it's a uh, really oh it's it's a bbc show and it was so funny but i enjoy how much the english call out sort of that saturnine fake oh i i just love that i love watching somebody like take down uh, like stuart lee is my favorite i love watching totally dedicate like 4 minutes of his special to hating on Michael McIntyre. I'm like this is so funny. What a waste of your time totally. <laughs> But this is so funny. Yeah. He's I think again it's the punching up thing. He's got this outsider even globally though, but he's got an outsider persona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's very clever in the way he's engineered that because even when he had a TV show, you could ask 10 people on the street and maybe four of them would know instead of three. And he's yeah. just he's just never become he's never made himself because he he could easily have made himself bigger than he is right now. Yeah, and yeah. and yet he's sort of like I, but he couldn't have a go at Daro Breen or McIntyre or whoever he wants to have a go at if he was bigger because it would be like he would be them yeah. you know and so this is also one thing right in india uh, what i noticed was i think i i literally am one of the very few people that still stayed a stand up comedian from the time that we started 5 years ago because i just didn't become a celebrity at no point in time was i at a youtube fan fest where someone was screaming my name because i also wouldn't know what to say i would just collapse into a puddle and be like ah, this is so embarrassing the problem with comedians in india at least my generation of comics in india was that they became celebrities and as a comic you cannot be the celebrity you have to be at the back of the class pointing at the celebrity and showing everyone else how funny that celebrity is you can't be the celebrity them you, you can't be the celebrity because otherwise you sort of are instantly too high in the power structure to be able to kind of comment on anything else and that that i think is one i'm i'm overtly insistent that's actually which is why i when i was i was being managed by an mcn and they said you should go for youtube fan fest you know it'll be amazing and you know your fans want to meet you and i was just i was like are you kidding me this is so embarrassing like i wouldn't know what to say i really wouldn't know what to say i that's really not who i am like i'm not like i'll go there with like thousands of screaming people and i'll be like yeah swag up like i don't want you hanging on to my every word if i've not written it carefully if i've not curated it to the best of my skills and knowledge and ability and time availability i do not sort of identify with the um celebrity culture one that because and, and you know what i'll be honest I, because my mum also is the executive producer of what is India's Law and Order which is this show called CID which is comically bad but it's very very popular and i think my mother taught me very early on in the game that nobody wants to be friends with a celebrity people will work with you if they like who you are and if you're a pleasant person to be around the moment you start demanding flowers in your vanity van and want like six doves to sit on top of your head nobody's going to want to like i mean nobody's going to like you sorry and i think to me that i want to ensure i tend to live long i intend to live for a 
substantial amount of time and I intend to stay in this career which is why I would prefer to be human instead of godlike or celebrity like for as long as I can because I just want to keep getting consistent work I do not want to be a superstar I want to be a worker but you, but you can be a celebrity and not make demands like that do you yes. know what I mean yes you can of course you can yeah uh, but the, I mean the, the culture in uh, sort of the culture in India which sort of elevates you to celebrity status requires you to kind of be that okay. requires you to kind of because people won't give you importance unless you demand that na, ki, Haan, I want seven white towels with one drop of blood from an Egyptian virgin smeared into the left hand side corner of each towel that's not that dem- I mean that's <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know <laughs> sorry we'll get them for you in a minute that's a <laughs> I no but I, I get what you're saying I mean I love what I'm doing right now in the terms of building a relationship with my audience I do not want fame in any way shape or form but I know that that's a byproduct of the industry that it's go- yeah, you're you going know. into and so that's what is irritating is when people work towards the fame as opposed to the jokes yes, that's the thing. just work towards everything else except the jokes what is wrong with you that's the biggest problem in our industry over here is that uh, so, so the biggest problem in our industry to nail it down after doing this for two years now I can tell you exactly why it's gone bad there are too many young comedians who are marketable in other areas that come in who maybe don't even write their own material get picked up by a big agent who have control of the media put them into a position where they can go right well they could be a presenter let's try them there if they're not presenters let's put them on radio if they're not presenting that kind of thing they become a celebrity sycophant fans will buy tickets to anything they do because that's what celebrity culture yeah. is now and as a result they believe their own hype because they're no, never given any feedback or construction or anything like yeah. that and as a result they've got a career out of it which is going to be a cash cow for the agent and for themselves and they don't know what they're doing outside of it so they stay with the agent yeah and on top of that you've got the issue in that people see that and because there's a celebrity culture in that so many young people now don't know what else they want to do with their lives and they want it to be their thing I'm not saying all by the way I'm, I'm not saying all young people there is a there is a portion of people who will do anything for fame there was a there was a rapper on YouTube who shot himself in the face to try and get yeah did you see that no Which, I didn't he shot he shot himself through the mouth and put it up online as a promotional stunt for his new single and it was like how bad do you want attention for your work instead of working on the work do you know what I mean yeah and, and that it, is why and honestly that's what I'm telling you because because these things are also very easy distractions yeah. it is very easy now I know there are some like groups or these comics and all mm. who will literally poop in a bowl for 35 minutes and people will buy 3000 rupee tickets yeah. for it because why not because you're getting to see them they're real you get to touch them yeah. eventually I, I don't want that I literally don't want you to spend 3000 bucks I want you to come to a show and then be so blown and be so happy that you spent that 500 bucks I literally I don't know I, I find so that can you put 500 bucks into context because over here that's a lot of money uh, 500 bucks is uh, I guess uh, yeah, like 10, 12 pounds. Okay, cool. So because 500 pounds over here is a lot. Oh, of no, no, no. So I, I mean just, like, yeah. I mean like 10, 12 pounds. Yeah. I want to give you your 10, 12 pounds worth mm. multiplied by 500. Yeah. For the lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, in order <laughs> to kind of, like, I, 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 mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, a, I'm also a, just a complete whore for the, for the live element. Yeah. It's like writing in the sky, right? You, you have to be there to experience mm. it, to see that energy, to see the way people are laughing, mm. to sort of see the comics sweating. I think it's all the, the magic of being live, which I think I hold way more sacrifice than putting up a video on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I still do the online content because I know that the only way I'm going to get found is that right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, especially as I'm not shunning the industry, but I'm far more interested in finding out what they do and then running away and doing it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I, don't want to be a part of the, the cog machine that already exists over here. Yeah. Like you said, the celebrity culture cog machine or the skipping steps machine just for quick bucks. You know, and I'll tell you. And, and that's, huh, yeah. Huh. 
No, that's that's it. Because and I'll tell you the truth, man. Because you're never going to be then. People are going to get bored of you. People are going to get bored yeah, of you. Yeah, but there's always someone new they can market it to. That's the problem. Is that huh. they they can say they won this award, they sold out this thing. Oh, and that's then that's new success people, breeds success. Yeah. concept, right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's a, it's an endless spiral. And if they push you hard enough at the start, yeah, they've already got the momentum that it's not a problem. I, though, frankly, again, you know, I've also realized, meh, okay. Like, I mean, I, I don't sort of resent anybody's success, and I don't. I think good for them if they've figured it out to by putting out some mediocre stuff and you know charging people to touch them or to take a photograph with them or whatever. Great for them. I don't know if I want to do that. I, I'm. I, I think too low of myself and simultaneously too highly of myself to be able to do that. All I want is to be well known enough that my constructive feedback is taken like as a serious point of criticism and not jealousy. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you know when you say to someone, like if I said to someone, oh yeah, I can't believe you're on this cycle of becoming a sort of that kind of thing. You can easily look like the jaded little comedian who's not doing that if you're not well known enough. I just want to get to a stage where they have to take it as a as a point that I genuinely mean it and not I'm the little guy who didn't get that option. So I'm dicking off at your... Yeah. Well, you know what? I want to get to a point where I can, uh, every time I have an hour ready, I can sell the tickets to the show. That's it. Yeah, that, I don't even want anything else. I don't want your respect. I don't want your... Yeah, yeah. I just want to sell enough tickets that people will come and listen to me when I'm ready to be able to talk yeah. and tell, make jokes. That's it. But everything that, else that comes is a plus. That's literally, that's literally all I want as well. <laughs> And but you seem to, I mean, you like you said, you've got the advantage of numbers on your side in yeah. terms of uh, both language barriers, but also the number of people in your country. Yeah. You, like you said, this circuit is a massively bigger one than yours. How many clubs would you say are in those four metropolitan cities that you mentioned earlier? So we have actually one dedicated comedy club that recently branched off into a second one. Right. So we have two in the entire country. And the others is just sort of like bars and pubs and smaller clubs that like literally like this is where there's a band one night of the week, there's something else the other night of the week, the third night of the week there's comedy and then, you know, something else. That that sort of is happening a lot as well. I've seen turnover. I've seen like violent turnover in the past five years as well of those very venues. Also venue owners in Bombay or in not, in, not only in Bombay because that's a lie, but all over the country, I think want to see comedy Comedy is one of those things that you have to work on, right? Is if you're doing one night a week, it has to take time even for the audience to catch up with what's going on. I don't think most venue owners allow that breathing room for a thing to develop long enough. They be like literally four nights in, they're like, Aray, nobody came, chalo, cancel. That's kind of short-sighted in my opinion. But I mean, I don't run a club luckily. So I literally, my opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> oh no, it does actually. Because what I've realized recently is clubs can't exist without comedians. We can exist without clubs. I oh, could, that's true, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I could book this room where at the camp I mean I couldn't they've got dedication over it but I could book a room and put on a gig Yeah. and yes I wouldn't be as good at promoting it but like we said before I, uh, my take on it is I want to do things right first time so I don't have to do them again so the whole email thing yeah so the whole emailing thing for me the mailing list is I'm more than happy to ask for an email address now so that I don't have to make effort as much later down the line so if I do that long enough I don't need a club I'd still love to do clubs I'm, yeah. I'm really happy to do them and I love mm. doing clubs but like your opinion does matter because like I said they can't exist without you so you you can't you can't discount your voice in that conversation for definite uh, i mean I, you know again i don't know it's ve that very thing where you can't sort of then start thinking that your shit don't stink no 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 but you, no but you no but you no but you have a voice in it yeah yeah i guess yeah. okay <laughs> and so given the way that circuit is constructed how did you find building an audience like how was that as a process for you? you know i've done my special that for six people once i did uh, in a 300 seater i did my special for six people and i'll tell you this okay so no let me give you context right so i i was ready with 
with my special in the end of 2014. That was and your first hour, yeah? Yes, okay. that was my first hour. And I was ready with it in to, the end of 2014. And I said, so I went to the club that was, uh, was called Canvas Laugh Factory at that point. So I went to them and I said, listen, can you please give me dates? So can I ask, based on that, just so again, for context for people, is it an English speaking yes. special and it was an English speaking club? Yes, okay. it was one of the English, speak yeah. it was the English speaking okay. club. So I went to them, I said, can you give me dates? And they said, of course. And they gave me dates and I was given one date a month and I was given dates for three months. So I was given three dates. And I was like, I was like, hey, you know, I, I'm really excited. And I sort of started pushing it on Twitter and Facebook and all these things, right? How, how big was your social following at that point? Uh, <laughs> like, I mean... I had an account. <laughs> like, I don't know. Okay, I guess like 20, 21,000 people. That's quite a lot, but yes, okay. Um, but again, you know, it's a numbers game, yeah. right? And so, but the thing is, again, how many of those translate to people coming to watch you? So I remember the second date that I was doing for that show, the show before mine. And so there was, there was an 8.30 show and there was a 10.30 show. The show before mine was this show with a incredibly super popular comic and another incredibly super popular comic. There were two of them on this show and the house was packed, okay? And everyone was laughing and it was great. And then my show was after that and then the management came and they were like, uh, Aditi, we've sold six tickets. And I was like, uh, okay, let's let's do the show for six people. <laughs> and so before the end of the first, uh, end of that, the 8.30 show, I asked the comic, I said, can you possibly just announce if people want to stay back for free, they can stay back for free because I'd rather have, say, four or more people just to kind of have life in the room and so this guy's like and he was very very generous and he said yeah of course and so he went and announced you know at the end of his show he said okay guys uh, you know uh, after this is Aditi Mittal's things they won't let me say and uh, you know uh, if you if you want to stay back please you know it's compliments of the venue etc 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 I uh, guess about 22 people and like you know ended up at the show and I did the show and it went as a show with 22 people in a 300 seater would go I was having a blast I was like I had people I wanted to entertain them so I was like Carlo, I just do it so now I've done it and then I go back and then on Facebook one of the people that was that had been at both the shows put up a message on Facebook saying, you know, we came for show X, that we came for the 8.30 show, and we were so deeply disappointed that we decided to stay back for the 10.30 just to make up for the money we spent. Because we were like, we want, now we want to extract value out of this. And they're like, we wish we had come for the 10.30 directly. And that I think is the only way that I've known is just to work, 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 work as hard as I possibly can. As Rihanna says. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, to quote Rihanna yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is... Bring her, let's bring my home girl into this. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so just I hate that song. Just work myself. <laughs> oh, I hate all Rihanna songs. Ella, 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 A, A, A. I'm gonna punch, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. punch the umbrella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punch the umbrella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think the, that's the only way I've known is to just sort of keep working and. Um, again, I think I've been I've been very lucky in those aspects where. Um, people like I, even the the tour that I did in September last year, I had people come up to me and just say stuff like, you know what. Whatever you're doing, just keep at it. Don't ever stop. And and that to me means an infinite more than, you know, someone like handing me something gigantic on a platter because that's the stuff that keeps me... I'll literally walk around with a backpack for the rest of my life if that's what it takes. I think I've dedicated my life to this. I think I'm a little married to comedy and the idea of wanting to make people laugh, even if it's in a room with three people or 22 people. That doesn't matter to me. So that tour, I assume you, you organised all that yourself? Yes, just entirely by myself. Have you carried that on or now you've you got an agent now? Are you with... Yeah, I'm with management. I mean, again, one of those things that 
I was so apprehensive at first. I was like, oh my god, I don't want to be one of those people that's like packaged off and sold off into these like weird commercial things. Then I realized nobody even wants me for weird commercial things, which is great by me actually. But again, then the opportunities that come by are these kind, where you get invited to come and write a show for the BBC. Or do an award-winning podcast. I know, do an award-winning podcast with Simon King. Not this one. This one isn't award-winning, but I am sure you'll get invited. No, but that came out when you didn't have management, didn't it? Yeah, and actually no. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. All the work has come without the management. Yeah. I just, I, I think we were discussing this before we started recording. Is how much I hate the emails and the following up. And because also this is barely an industry in India, right? This is barely an industry, and it's highly unregulated. So we have a ton of like I know I've there are gigs that I've not been that I did four and three and two years ago that I've not been paid for yet. And so you need someone there like making the calls and being like, where is the check? Send the money. Where is the check? Send the money. Where is the check? Send the money. And I think that is what because and that would take up like honestly I don't want to wake up in the morning and then have to fight with someone to get money that I earned. Yeah. So and I, I don't want to be too blunt about it. Uh, well, no, why not? Uh, <laughs> we're, we're friends now. So that meeting with that agent, you you were kind of like, I, I'm doing this all myself. I don't like emails. I don't like phone calls. I don't like chasing money. Will you just do that? Or was it more they were like, we want to sell? Like you said, was it we want to not package you off, but we want to market you in this way? Or, or I mean, what was that meeting like? I think actually I'm really lucky because the person who I am being managed by right now is someone who is actually someone that I trust implicitly and I genuinely love as a person. And so when I went to them, I, I was performing at a Miss India. <laughs> I was performing at a Miss India gig, right? So these are the like the beauty contests or whatever. Wow. So I was performing there and... Uh, you, were you taking part in the thing or were you no, just... No, no, please, okay. geez, look at me. I, I, <laughs> so, okay, first of all, I do not know what the beauty standards are over in India. <laughs> and second of all, I do not want to stereotype. So don't go there. <laughs> could so, be anything okay. right now. So I was an act. I was yeah. an act and so I was doing this in yeah. between rounds like while the girls were getting changed from their bikinis into like their gowns or whatever. So they sort of brought so me on So you didn't need stage. your own room for this gig. But that's uh, really yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then I end up sort of and I'm doing the 10 minute slot and then the person who was organizing the gig uh, or, like who did the entire show came up to me and he was like you know Aditi this was awesome and you're so fun and you know let's who's managing you right now? And I was like me? <laughs> He's like okay. And then I sort of had this ha- I literally had a hash out with him. I said listen I do not like I'm not comfortable with the idea of being packaged off and sold and I'm very very particular about the things that I am sort of even corporate shows right in India I've had those experiences where the organizer would call and say send me a picture we want specifically a female comedian send me a picture I'm like what do you do with picture I can understand if you're saying send me a joke send me a video or whatever huh, and send me a picture and then what dress are you wearing and then it makes you realize that there is also that whole subculture of we want someone attractive to just come and be mostly eye candy and I realize I mean I don't fall into the category of eye candy and I really actually I'm vehemently opposed to that idea and so I, I sort of told him everything you know there are like there are small small things like most sort of these a lot of these corporate gigs or whatever they'll have you know an open bar and then at open bars there would be the sort of you know the, the executives who would get very vocal and very drunk and then because you're a woman and you're doing comedy and you're standing up there on stage and saying something funny is that they would think that you are just a free for all and would treat you as such and I've had gigs where some guy was just like trying to grab my hand and make me sit on his lap and stuff like that and I, I told I told Neil everything I just I you know I, I told him like I was like you know post 10 o'clock if there is any place that has a show that is starting whatever if their function is starting at 7 and they have an open bar I'm not going up on stage 3 hours after the bar has been open because I know that there is a certain pack mentality that happens in these corporate shows with you know people just getting overconfident and wanting to pour everything that moves and so I, I said stuff like this to Neil and he was so understanding he was so understanding and so 
sort of accommodating which is why I even signed up in the first place and he's I mean even now you know everything I do he's sort of in on it and him and Meenal so it's called House of Talent and him and Meenal have just been my backbone in terms of just keeping me afloat and keeping me I guess administratively above the water in terms of handling my gigs and in terms of even setting a market value because I'll tell you the truth also people will not want to hire you for a gig for x rupees if you're the one calling to negotiate your own rates if you have an if you have a manager then it's oh this person is important enough that they have a manager is uh and again I, d- I don't want to make everything gendered because that's not like huh. a, a thing I'm comfortable doing but huh. is that a gendered thing or is that just every comedian over there Th- that's just every that's a celebrity okay. culture thing okay. it's a celebrity culture thing where you know you're supposed to be unavailable and sort of oh so cool that you won't like have a direct conversation with anyone and okay. so that sort of no I wondered if it was maybe a, maybe a class or a cast or some sort of system where it's like a woman ringing up saying I'm worth this it could yeah, yeah and yeah. It's, you know how bad like I couldn't first of all because I'm also middle class and I'm also a woman those two things used to make me most uncomfortable I would say no to gigs outright because I used to almost feel embarrassed to tell them my rate how much I was charging also I used to be like no no I'll message you I'll email you because I would not be able to say it on a phone call and having someone there has really sort of changed the game entirely like now I have a book and a calendar and she takes care of it like Meenal takes care of it you know Neil is sort of aware of he's like you know they'll be like okay Aditi would not be comfortable going into this environment so from our end just say sorry we would, she will not be able to make it and that kind of thing it's bad cop good cop right and so if someone is there playing bad cop for you it's just much easier and and I like being good cop a lot yeah yeah that makes sense and it's, it's it sounds like a very healthy relationship you have with that agent yeah and, and it, is it Mick it represents you over here then or is it a case of they uh, represent you know I'm having I'm having a meeting with Natalie on uh, okay. Monday so I, I'll know then I was just wondering how it worked when you come over here because have they arranged this trip then essentially no no no, no. Oh, this okay. one was done by BBC and my producer Ed Morish he contacted me a year ago to do something called the Now Show he was doing a pilot for them and he called me and he said would you like to perform and I said yeah and so I did this performance over Skype and since then you know we kept in touch I, I love Ed because I, I'm so blown by this guy his previous show was about uh, was about was a comic who was talking about his son that he adopted who is autistic and and, I, and Ed is telling me this like three days ago he's like yo so uh, I'll be honest I have to, I've had to be that guy who is sitting there with three comics who are like talking about their personal tragedies on stage and I've had to be that guy who's like yeah yeah that's really sad but where's the joke I was like oh my god yeah that's but that's and, and like I've sort of realized the value of actually I've seen the function of a producer for the first time in my life because before that sort of comedy also is one of the, the very purest art forms is where you write direct and then execute all by yourself and to have someone there as a second voice or a second set of eyes looking at you from the outside I did not realize it could sort of make things so awesome yeah yeah and if we were to look at pre-agent and now mm-hmm. what if you, if you had like a pie chart yeah. of how split your time and how that translated into you being a full-time because a lot of people define being full-time differently because some people it just they want to gig all the time some people they want to have like writing work and gigging I mean if you were to break down the pie chart of, of where you stay afloat financially as well as in your own time how would that look to someone who has, obviously has no idea you you know and so I'll be honest it changed drastically because before that and I'm not proud to admit it because before that I was literally living month to month I was running my own house like my like I, me and my dad were living together and I was running the house entirely with my earnings but with that literally with that sort of because financial responsibility also or knowledge frankly is not something that I was particularly interested in and is not particularly insisted upon so I was just sort of living month to month oh rent money is here oh enough you know to like eat out and party or whatever is here that's it and with the way sort of now that I've had management and now that I've had people invested in me as a person which then has led them to be invested in me as a comic has changed dr- 
drastic. Like I've been doing taxes on time, which is crazy. <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, and I think it's also given me more time to dedicate to things that I'm truly passionate about, which was something that I didn't have time for earlier because I was doing horrible things like calling people and being like, where's my money? Where's my money? Can I please have my money? Can you please send the money? Have you sent the money? Can you send me a screenshot of the money that you've transferred? Oh, seven days later when the screenshot has not happened or the money has not come, then I'm like, oh, can you just send a check anyway? You end up ruining a relationship also like that. And so, I mean, I've, I've been able to have more consistent relationships with people who would hire me for comedy because it's just been clean, dry and professional, mm. which earlier was not the case. I think it's changed drastically since, since I managed to get. And I think that's one of the things. I think it's very important that when you are doing comedy or when someone's taking you on as a client, uh, as a comic, that they should know you. They should know what you want to do, what you are passionate about. How And, and like, for example, I'm the only comic he represents. I'm literally the only comic out of the, you know, 70. I'm the only one he represents because he's like, Aditi, I want to focus on you. I want to make sure he's got one comic, one musician, one, you know, that kind of thing. But he's like, I, I want to focus on you. I, I don't want key when somebody calls, then I'll be like, oh yeah, oh, what is your budget? Okay, in that budget, I have nine people. No, I don't want to do that. And that has kind of built an implicit trust in me that I never imagined I would have professionally with anybody else, mm. especially being the crazy paranoid comic that I am. Like, Yeah, no, I understand. That's, I, I was thinking about it the other day, whether, because I don't really want an agent right now. I'm kind of comfortable with what I do and I'm happy with it. Yeah. And I think it's a trust issue more than anything. Yeah. Like bringing someone, I've got a lot of trust issues anyway, but bringing someone into this business I'm building essentially yeah. is it would take too much. They would have to show so much of a commitment to what yeah. I'm doing that I, and I've not seen that yet. Yeah. So it's like, am I right? You know, it's <laughs> like, it's a little bit like, this is funny, right? Um, I'm going to compare, compare this to marriage. Okay, because... I've not been married, I don't know. <laughs> Me neither. Okay. And, uh, but... But let's having, talk about it. Right, right. <laughs> Let's, let's be the expert. You know, for a very long time, my brother, like my brother got married when he was 27. And one of the things he kept saying that he didn't want, and he was dating somebody for 10 years. So they were dating since they were 17. And he kept saying he didn't want to get married because he's like, I want to get my MBA. I want to make my first million. And I want to be amazing by the time I get married, right? And then, I mean, come on, you're 27. This is India. Get the fuck married. <laughs> so, so they ended up getting married at 27. And my brother was just starting his MBA at that point in time. And so I asked him, I said, is it, you know, do you feel like you've compromised on something by getting married? And he said, actually, you don't understand that it's enabled me to do more. He's like, now that part of your brain that handles hormones, I guess, <laughs> he's like, that is now so calm that I can literally direct my energies into other places. I know now when I come home, I have a loving person, a support system. Like I know I have a, 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 I have a person, a phone call away who will sort of be my person as it were. And he's like, I it just actually, he's, he finished his MBA faster. He, he finished his MBA in a year and a half, which is not the thing that, I mean, and he was doing an executive MBA. So he was doing the weekend MBA, but he's like, he's finished it in a year and a half while simultaneously doing a job that required him to travel four days a week. And so I think it's that very same thing. It's that the relationship with having a manager was that I sort of was apprehensive. I was like, should I, should I not? I don't want to commit. What's going to happen? Are they gonna... And then the moment I did, I was like, Take that leap. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, it's taking the leap with the right person. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, um, yeah. That, that's the mistake a lot of people make. Um, you know, it's sort of, it enables you to do so much more. Like I'm sitting, by yeah. the way, I'm sitting here in England. I know I have work to go back to on 21st. I am landing in India on 19th. On 21st is my first gig. I have 24th, 20. Like I have already lined up. The dates are booked. The client has been informed of all the technical requirements. The, you know, the show flows have come to me. Everything is done. I literally now have to go show up. And that is, I mean, I have to just be 
amazing on yeah. stage and I'm doing my job of being amazing on stage. No, I, I, I spent a lot of my 20s and I'm nearly 30 now, but I spent a lot of my 20s in that, like wasting time on, on relationships and girls and the wrong people yeah. and all that kind of stuff because I, I, I just needed to feel, first of all, I wanted to feel stuff because, you know, you, you do when you're in your 20s, but also I, I wanted to feel ma mainly belonging, mainly a, a, a sense yeah. of social circle because you lose that when you lose high school and when you leave uni and stuff. Yeah. And I look back on it now and I'm like, I say I look back on it, I'm only 29, but you look back on it and you're sort of like, I, I've got to a stage where I've gone, you know what, if a relationship happens, it happens. If sex happens, it happens. And now that I've gone that to myself, and also instead of me going where well, I used to go, I'm going to be single forever. Now I go, I'm going to be single forever. <laughs> like the minute I looked at it with a different perspective, we were talking about before, yeah. different perspective. Yeah. The minute I sort of went, you know what, so what, I don't get to have sex for the rest of my life. Fuck it, I've had it already. I'm happy with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the minute, I, the minute I let that go, yeah. I started putting energy into stuff that I actually wanted to do. And, I, and, and it's made my life better because it's like, instead of me going with the social construct of you've got to find a marriage, you've got to find a girlfriend, yeah. you've got to find whatever. Yeah. I just go, what do I actually want to do with my life? And it, and it, and I can imagine him, he, for him, it, taking that pressure off was finding that base. Yeah. And for me, it was not finding that base, but finding that base in myself. In yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, I think you a lot know, of so that. that's what it is. It's um, and why this job is actually inherently lonely. Yeah. Um, I think you know, I mean, if especially if you're on the road and stuff. I'm telling you, I was gone for 13 days that day. I've been now away from home since the 5th of August, and I'm not going back till the 17th of September. And so I know I've been away from home, and I, I've sort of I'm here all by myself. Like I'm walking around London a lot of. I'm spending a lot of time alone, just taking myself to shows and you know go, going and taking myself to a fancy dinner once in a while when I feel like I've done a good job. And if you can't find it here, then you're going to lead she, a she's very. She's pointing to her chest. Oh, by sorry. Way. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you Audio find medium. It, this, you, yeah. uh, it's gonna it's gonna be very lonely, and it's yeah. going and loneliness can be very tiring. I, not even like it's anything else, but just tiring because you're so busy feeling sorry for yourself and feeling like you don't belong anywhere that it takes it robs you of energy that could have been spent in other directions. Definitely. I have quick fire fin finishing questions. Yes. I ask everyone. Yes. We have covered quite a lot of them, so I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna ask them again, and if you want to add to them, you can. If not, I'll just edit them out. Okay. So, uh, what are the best books on comedy writing or stand up you've ever read? Born Standing Up by uh, uh, Steve, Steve Martin. Wright. Steve Martin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's so amazing. He has this. He, so anyway, there's okay, two amazing lines, right? One is a phase where he's like, uh, he's like, I would rather just be so good that they can't ignore you. Oh, what a line! Mm. Um, and so like empowering instantly because then it's all about how good you are on stage and how much the audience wants to hear you talk. Uh, that's one. And the other one that he said, he was like, you know, when he had his first heartbreak and then he was talking to somebody and they said, uh, yeah, that's gonna happen a lot. And I think that's so awesome. And he goes, the it, it instantly calmed him because the knowledge that this gut wrench horrible thing was going to happen to him time and time again was the most comforting thing on this planet that's what I think is you know it's identify it sort of ties in with comedy is that I know every time I have a bad show I'm like this is one not the first time it's happening and two definitely not the last time it's happening <laughs> yeah. so I need to find a medium ground to sort of survive it and actually possibly make the best of it yes totally what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it the biggest mistake I've ever made is not starting sooner and actually not believing in myself and not sort of just going out and doing this. I really wish I had started sooner. I wish I had displayed more faith in myself and how how how, how to fix it. I, I think now I am fixing it. I'm in the process. I think I'll end up fixing it for the rest of my life because you can never take back time. Definitely. What is the biggest misconception that people have of what you do? Uh, so <laughs> there's a, so there are, there are a couple, right? One, like my mother still thinks I'm going to get an actual job. My mother is still convinced. She's like, ah, this comedy, comedy thing. Now, see, 
रिलेशनशिप विथ द साउंड पीपल एंड विथ द पीपल इन द बाथरूम like you know if there's ever a venue that has uh, like you know someone standing there and giving mm. you like napkins or whatever they may feel really uncomfortable I agree with you on the sound guy <laughs> um but i think the sound guy and the bathroom person are my two favorite people at any gig because i am a chronic piddler and uh, you know i sort of constantly and sound is i mean it's literally the only thing we have it's a possibly our biggest technical requirement is sound and if that's not good you could suffer a bad show there's a gig you should do in leicester called comedy in the dark where they <gasps> where they don't let the light go on so you have to do the performance Just, and set. oh yeah. that's oh that sounds amazing yeah. you know so and that's what, when i was when i was writing really this good, yeah. when i was writing this bbc show and Ed, so my producer my B, the bbc 4 producer ed he came to watch my special and was like hey you to like dance around and prance around on stage like it's going out of style and i was like hey You know I love that shit. And then he's like, you know, you know that the show we are writing that's about whatever 40 minutes to 36 minute episodes. He's like they are for radio. And I was like, oh. And when I started writing for that it was kind of like comedy in the dark because you know that on radio they're not going to be able to hear you. And it was just like it was a it was a revelation. I I knew I had to cut out a ton of stuff because I was like, oh this is really dependent on me sort of making a stupid face and this is really dependent on me making the hands and you know and all that stuff and and so I definitely want to do this gig. Mm, I'll send you I'll get you these. Please. <laughs> This is a two-parter, and it's the last question. What is the best bit of advice you've ever been given? And if you could give one bit of advice to a comedian who wants to start a career in stand-up, what would you say? One piece of advice: get on stage yesterday. Just get on stage because the get your time travel device is going. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, just oh hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can go back in time and and start 20 years ago when you were still in your mother's womb, do it. Like yeah, yeah. I just be like, yo, what's the deal with the umbilical cord? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I want to be that guy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my advice to someone who is starting out is get on stage. In my head. It was like comes back to babies and parents. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? And so um, get on stage yesterday and don't be afraid to fail because I think failure is as integral a part of this job as it is uh, as is the roaring success and the applause and the laughs. And what is the other one? Best bit of advice you've ever been given. Uh, this one's a survival piece, right? And this is for a comic that I don't really like much, to be honest. But he said something that like, and I it was after I had had a particularly bad set, and I was sort of walking out, you know, sort of with my My tail between my legs and my like sweat dripping out of my eyes or whatever. And he goes, uh, so he's like, yeah, rough crowd, huh? And I was just like, what an asshole. And then he goes, you know, but let me tell you something. They were listening. And I was like, huh? And he's like, they were listening. It means they were interested. And I was like, what does that mean? And he said, see, one of the measures of how much an audience is listening to you is also in the times that they aren't laughing, that they aren't talking to each other. And um, I was like, oh yeah. He's like, that means they're listening. He's like, and that's not your battle one, but that's about thirty percent of your battle. 
battle won because your objective is to make them laugh otherwise you've not done your job but if they're listening means they're not outright going like this is not worth listening to so there you go and i was like oh my god i hate you but thank you for this like this this made me feel better mm definitely that's great advice thank you very much for coming on thank you so much for having me no yeah, it's been a pleasure that was the dt i loved talking to her i found her a breath of fresh air both in terms of her view on the uk scene as she's not from here she has a view on it from an outsider's perspective which gives her the ability to see more of the faults and plus points than people who live here who live and breathe it and i also thought it was amazing to hear someone who wanted a career so badly that she had to make her own position in the industry to do it there's something really motivating about that and what surprised me the most was hearing about how the mainstream in indian comedy is sexist and as a result i wasn't surprised to hear that there is less females doing comedy over there overall i found this episode really motivating though it was really fun to put together and i really hope you got some value out of it as well if you did please do consider tweeting myself or aditi and saying thank you it's always nice to be nice and giving back to the guests really helps and just and it's also just a lovely thing to do so you can find all the links to her social media accounts on the show notes which are at simonkane.co.uk if you're new here please do hit the subscribe button if you're old here please do remember to leave us an honest review in itunes and either way please do consider giving a donation of some money to keep the show going without your donations the show really would have to stop or slow down so if you find any value in this and you've got a few quid spare please do consider donating as little or as much as you can either as a one-off donation via paypal or as an ongoing donation on patreon both of those links can be found on my website thank you very much for listening thank you very much for subscribing and thank you very much for donating if you do i'll see you all in about 15 days time bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.